Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you all know and remember that for a few years, a decade ago or so, uh, I was pastor at a very large church called the Cathedral of Hope. And uh, there were probably, at that time, 35 to 3,700 members. So I didn't expect to know everybody and know everybody's names. I knew quite a few people and their names. I knew quite a few people by seeing them, knowing them that way, and, and then got to know people throughout the years I was there because they would take class from me or something like that. But one thing that happened at Cathedral a lot because of the size of our church is that we baptized a lot of people. Uh, we baptized a lot of infants and children. And the parents would come bringing their child for baptism and Usually one of our associate pastors would meet with them and talk to them about what baptism meant and all of that. And they would come to the chancel, bringing their child with their family members and making their vows to raise the child in in the way of following Jesus. And they would tear up as the child was named and water was placed on the child's head. Yet often... I didn't know them at all. And often, I would never see them at church again. I could only assume that the parents saw the baptism as some kind of fire insurance, (laughs) keeping the child out of the promised hell if they weren't baptized. But my understanding of baptism is that it is a mystery and it is a sacrament in which there is a a mysterious connection made between the one being baptized and with God and with a community of believers. And that helped me in some ways believe that somehow, in some way, the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of those who had been baptized. Of course, I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in everybody's life. But baptism means so much more than fire insurance. It means more for our lives in the here and now. Baptism for us is about the here and now, the life we are living and the life we will live. And and it has less to do with life after our death than it has to do with right here, right now, the kind of people we're going to be. And it is here in the Gospel of Mark that we discover some of the mystery and meaning of this odd ritual, this sacrament, this sacred moment called baptism. The Christmas story in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus' baptism. Jesus' initiation into his human life with God and the call and claim of God that he was beloved but also called. It is likely that those hearing Mark's story would have believed that Jesus was miraculously adopted by God rather than miraculously conceived by God. Those stories 
hadn't been circulated yet. The stories in Matthew and Luke would come years later about the miraculous birth. So Mark's story, his Christmas story, is about Jesus' baptism. Now, you may struggle with the diversity of stories that we hear in the four Gospels, and they, they are diverse. Uh, but this shouldn't detract from the wondrous mystery of the Incarnation. On the contrary, it underscores it. Like a diamond, you know, uh, they talk about how people that trade in diamonds, they can tell you if it, it, they can turn it and tell you about the light in it, and, and they can tell you where the flaws are, and they can tell you about the carrots and, and the color and all of those things, and, and yet all of what they talk about is in relation to that diamond. And that is also how the Gospels work. We hear from different witnesses about the life of Jesus and how he lived and what he did and his work in the salvation work, the redemption work that God called him to provide to us. So consider, if you will, that our ancestors refused to combine all these gospels. They made, they made each one an important story and they differed depending on who the writers were, were writing for. But they, the writers all throughout history never tried to combine them, but rather kept them separate so that we would see from different perspectives how Jesus lived, who he was, and what he did. Well, um, let's think about how ancient baptism is. We modern Christians probably don't think about that very much. We consider baptism a sacrament that happens in the church, or at the riverside, or at a uh, feeding tank out in the pasture, you know. Uh, we, we consider baptism something that happens in the Christian church. But what we need to remember is that, is that many different religious cultures, almost all of them, especially the benevolent religions, have practiced some form of washing as a means of encountering God. Our Judeo-Christian tradition traces our understanding of baptism, uh, and that comes from John the baptizer, who was distinctly Jewish, specifically Jewish, and just as Jesus was distinctly Jewish and specifically Jewish. And, and so he uh, began to baptize people. And, and the Gospel of Mark says, John appeared in the wilderness preaching a gospel of repentance. I love that language, John appeared. It's sort of like he went, poof, I'm here. Now, we know that's not what happened, but this mystical, odd person wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey, uh, you know, that he just suddenly appears. But he had many, many followers, and they all came out to the wilderness to meet him and be, be baptized. Well, here's what Mark says about baptism, that the baptizer was preaching a baptism of repentance. And the Greek word for repentance here is a word metanoia. And if you divide it up, the Greek word for, uh, the Greek word meta actually means change. And the Greek word noia means mind. So repentance is really about changing your mind or 
changing your heart or changing your life. It's a complete shift and reorientation of who you are. Now, accordingly, as a visible sign of this change, John uses baptism, an immersion in water ritual in those days, that was typically used to baptize Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. And that uh, signified an all-encompassing fresh start of a person's character and of their conversion. But John called on all the children of Israel to undergo baptism, not just the Gentiles. Not just the Gentiles were required conversion. All were required conversion. All required being baptized for a new day, a new era, a new thing that God is going to do. Change your minds and hearts and lives, John the Baptist preached. Come and be baptized for the sake of forgiveness of sins, for God is coming near. Now, let's say a little bit about that sin word. We don't, in progressive Christianity, sometimes we try to avoid that word, but we shouldn't, because sin really means missing the mark. It means somehow in our humanity, we have missed the mark. And so to be baptized and repent of your sin is to change your heart and mind to come back into and get the mark, hit the mark of where God is calling us, right? And it's not, sin is not a com, some kind of condemnation wrought by God for those unbaptized, as if their sin would keep them away from the love of God and God's grace. So in the story of Jesus' baptism, we should continue to marvel at the fact that Jesus was baptized at all. I mean, he was Jewish. He was a child of Israel. So he was in with God. Now, he comes and heeds the teaching of John the Baptist. And, and we also can marvel because Mark explicitly frames the right as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and yet Jesus, the one who God in a few moments is kind of going to call my beloved, gets in line with the rest of us. And a lot of people would say, he doesn't need to. He, he is without sin, right? But he gets in line with the rest of us as an expression of the astonishing humility and solidarity with us. Incarnation. In Jesus, God comes alongside us, even to the point of joining us in the practice of repentance and renewal. Following a teacher like this, like Jesus, would mean setting out with him on a path of humility and solidarity, confession, and grace. Not looking down on others, but rather joining them in the line. A humble way of love with which God is well pleased. This is Jesus' personal epiphany. And the reason we know that is because the heavens are torn apart. It, now, that's a kind of violent feeling, is it? The heavens are torn apart. But then the Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove, and he hears a voice of God saying, you are my child, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. According to Mark, nobody else sees or hears this. This is Jesus' moment. 
And suddenly, though, because he has gotten in line with us, this ritual becomes a sacred moment, a sacrament, that is no longer singularly focused on sin, but is now focused on belovedness. And yet, even in this epiphany moment, the moment of blessing looms the shadow of the cross. Right after this baptism and the heavens being torn apart and the words of belovedness coming to Jesus, the story tells us, and the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness and was in the wilderness for 40 days, tested by Satan. And Jesus was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Okay, so this should have you asking, why the Holy Spirit? Why does she drive Jesus into the wilderness? What is that about? Why the tests by Satan, the evil one? Leaving us with a question now between the baptismal story and the wilderness story, is Jesus blessed or is he tested? Are we blessed or are we tested? And how are we supposed to understand this? Well, if you follow the teachings of Father Richard Rohr, Catholic priest and mystic, he would say we're both. We are both blessed and tested. The question for us today is in Paul's letter that we heard read. That we should ask us, we should ask ourselves every baptismal Sunday. Into what then were you baptized? Into what then were you baptized? Indeed, what does your baptism mean to you, and how are you living in response to it? In our baptisms, we too are adopted by God and become siblings of Jesus. We too are blessed. Yet we too are fully human and we face life's challenges. I don't say tests because people too often distort that uh, and, and in their distortions say they, they put it back on God. God is testing you. God is testing me. It's not about God testing you. It is about the challenges we face in our human life. I mean, people so often want to say, God did this to me. No, no. I read this week that many people are surprised when things go wrong in their lives, when life is not easy, when things are hard, especially unexpected things, natural disasters, war, violence in our neighborhoods, all the things that we know that are happening. And people get all twisted up about it. And the article pointed out that those who can embrace the challenges that we face as fallible human beings in a fallible world, an imperfect world, those who can see those as challenges often manage better through life in a more positive way because they see it as a challenge to be worked through, to move forward through, rather than as something to be destroyed by. In baptism, writes Michael Rognes, retired professor of preaching at Luther's Theological Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. In baptism, we become part of a people. 
Today on this Baptism Sunday, we are invited to remember that we are part of an invisible network. We're part of an invisible network that crosses, that stretches across time and space. Time before us, time that will come after us, and space around creation. We're part of an invisible network, a people who believe that when the heavens were torn open at the beginning of Mark, God was doing something new. God already split the waters of the Red Sea with Moses and the Jordan River with Joshua and Elijah and Elisha. But by splintering the heavens at Jesus' baptism, God went back further to the beginning when out of chaos, God fashioned the earth into day and night. In the sacrament of baptism, that same elemental water touches us and initiates us into the people who believe in Jesus as the Christ and seek to follow in his way. And we are part of, as the prophet, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called it, the beloved community. This is who we are part of. And that is how actually through our baptismal eyes, we are to see the whole world and all of God's people as part of a beloved community. So we are part of the blessed and the tested. What does that mean to be part of the invisible network? It is a worthy question in any year, but particularly this one. In any given year, people will have become parents or grandparents. They will become widowers or spouses or graduates or unemployed. This year, some may become for the first time protesters and canvassers and questioners. This year, we may be challenged more than ever to live into our baptismal promises. So may this year be a year of awakening for all of us. Being baptized people in this moment means we are invited to remember our baptisms and the promises that, we were, that were made either for us or by us that we and that have been made in every age before us. So what will our commitments be for this year? What will we do? How will we be as this invisible network of the baptized, as those who believe that God has done a new thing in Jesus? Into what then were you baptized? You know, I told you at Cathedral of Hope we baptized a lot of uh, infants and children, but we also baptized a lot of adults. Unlike the parents and families of the infants, the adults were also earnest, but they were also introspect introspective. I could see it in their eyes, pensive, wondering, hoping that this moment would usher in some kind of new way of life, a new way of connecting with God. You know, often when, I'm, when it's raining and I'm with friends and we're running through the rain to get somewhere because we've forgotten our umbrellas, I usually find myself crying out, remember your baptism and give thanks. And so today, as we sing the song of response, I'm going to invite you 
to remember your baptism and give thanks as we sprinkle water over you as we sing.